Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on His side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. And hello, Las Vegas. Welcome to the program. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church here in Las Vegas. Our thanks to those of you tuned in over at the 405media.com as well. Great to have you with us today. Lots to cover. I haven't done an actual show for, well, basically the entire week here and uh, just so much happening. We'll start, of course, with the Obamacare fail that happened again yesterday. This one just... I, I don't understand. I mean, we had a repeal and delay vote, if you will, in the Senate, and it failed 45 to 55. All of the Senate Democrats, both of the independents, and seven Republicans uh, voted against this bill, which, by the way, I believe it was six. Yeah. Six of the Senate Republicans who voted against this bill, Capito, Heller, McCain, Portman, Alexander, and Murkowski, all six of them voted yes on this same bill in 2015. I'll read their names again. Capito, Heller, McCain, Portman, Alexander, and Murkowski. In 2015, with the same bill, they all voted yes. Yesterday, they voted no. And the bill failed 45 to 55. I... I I don't understand. I, there's To me, there is no explanation for this. This was exactly what the Senate needed to do. This is exactly what Congress could do, exactly what they should have done, because it would have repealed Obamacare, most of it, and given lawmakers two years, two years, to come up with a plan for replacing it, if you will. And... Of those who have said why they did not vote in favor of it, we're hearing a lot of the, I believe we can't repeal it without knowing what we're going to replace it with. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, you you were okay with it in 2015. Also, the bill makes a provision for it to be replaced within the next two years. And also, uh, we have to pass the bill to find what's in it. You, that wasn't even the case. It wasn't even the case. You already had... You, you. I don't... I, I'm just so frustrated. I do not understand how what was okay in 2015 is suddenly not okay today. I don't understand how a repeal and delay vote doesn't succeed. I mean, it's literally just mind-boggling to me. And quite frankly, it may have just cost the GOP the midterm, midterm elections. And you think, well... Why does that even matter? Apparently it doesn't matter if the GOP is in control because they're not getting anything done that they promised they would do, and that's true. But if we lost the Senate, we may have even just lost the House, and with President Trump barely being able to accomplish anything with this Congress while it is completely under Republican control, it's unlikely he'd accomplish anything at all if we were to lose the House or the Senate on the Republican side. But to me, uh, this vote is just unconscionable. 
I, I don't even have words to describe how I feel right now. It just, it, it baffles me. I don't know how you missed this vote. I really, really don't. I don't know how you have six people that said, yes, let's do this in 2015 that are now saying, no, actually, let's not do that. I am highly, highly disappointed in the six GOP senators who flipped their votes. And uh, I hope they will provide us with detailed, detailed information on why they felt this repeal bill was acceptable two years ago, but now they're not able to support it. More than just the, oh, but we need something to replace it with. Okay, but explain to me why two years ago this was good and now it's bad. You know, I understood when there was opposition for the repeal and replace that Paul Ryan presented because, quite frankly, that was not a good bill. But this is just a straight-up repeal with a delayed replacement. I, I am hugely, hugely, hugely disappointed with our Congress right now. This is bad news out of D.C. I mean, if they couldn't just pass a straight-up repeal when there is no reason not to be able to because we passed it before, we passed it with Obama as president, now... We d I mean, this literally just makes it as, yeah, it was a symbolic vote. We never had any intentions of making it go away. We were just voting with that because we knew that President Obama would never let it go anywhere. That's essentially what you're saying. Unless you come up with a really good explanation to explain to us otherwise. And then they tried to do skinny repeal. Skinny repeal, which left literally 95% of Obamacare completely intact. And we couldn't even get that passed. And now we're essentially dead in the water. That's a voting reference for those of you that aren't sure. And nothing is going to happen on this for now. But in a, in a sense, it's a good thing skinny repeal didn't pass because it literally did nothing. And if anything, would only make things worse. And then when the quote-unquote Republican victory of repeal failed because it would leave Obamacare in place. And so it wouldn't be the repeal that failed. It would be Obamacare that failed, as everyone expects that it will anyway. But then when that failed, that would just give liberals a, a leg up once they take back control of the House and the Senate, potentially at any point in the future, for them to say, see, your way didn't work. Let's try single payer because we haven't done that one yet. Oh, my goodness. There is some good news out of D.C. yesterday, though, as well as Representative Steve Scalise. He was uh, shot during the congressional baseball practice roughly uh, a month ago. He has now been released uh, from the hospital. Um, the Daily Wire is reporting that Scalise's condition had gone through... Uh, no, let me keep going. Uh, initially, he was in critical condition with an intimate risk of death when he was rushed to the hospital. Then on July 5th, his condition was grounded, downgraded to serious... Um, then it's been it's been kind of fluctuating back and forth, but he is now on the road to recovery and is out of the hospital. So that is the good news out of Washington, D.C. yesterday. We'll get to more news, what's happening in the world today. Obviously, huge development yesterday as President Trump uh, declared that transgenders will no longer be allowed uh, to serve in the military. We'll talk about the ramifications of that we will talk about uh, Jeff Sessions. We'll see how far we get when we get into some other things as well. Stay with us. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. That was Voices of Lee with an absolutely amazing acapella 
rendition of I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to sin. How true is that? Really, just an amazing song. No longer slaves by Voices of Glee. You can go find it on YouTube or I'm sure it's probably on iTunes as well. All right. So yesterday, just oh, so much news out of Washington, D.C. yesterday. We had this tweeted by our president in three successive tweets. He said, after consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the United States military. Our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgenders in the military would entail. Thank you. Wow. We have seen an absolute whirlwind on this issue with our military in the last year. And only weeks ago we were reading articles about how the Department of Justice was advising military personnel that they would now have to accept showering with transgenders who had not undergone any sort of surgical modifications to their biology which in essence means you would have men who have not attempted any sort of gender reassignment surgery, uh, so men with all their man parts showering with women, and uh, the women are just supposed to be okay and welcoming of this, and you would have women who have all of their female parts, and men are just supposed to be okay with showering with them. Question. Even if you think for some warped reason that the soldiers themselves should be forced to be okay with this, what about their spouses? Does anyone ever think about that? I mean, is a husband supposed to be okay with his wife, who is potentially thousands of miles away from him, showering with a dude with all of his dude parts who identifies as a woman? I mean, is a wife who's thousands of miles away from her husband supposed to be okay with a woman who has all of her womanness showering with her husband? I mean, do military families merit any part of this conversation? And do they not go through enough already that... That when we just stopped and thought, you know what, this sounds like a great idea. Let's not only accept transgenders, but let's have them share locker room facilities as well. No, that's not a good idea. It's not a good idea at all. That's not judgmental. That's just biology and science. Men and women should not be subjected to having to shower with someone of the opposite gender. Regardless of what that person might think or feel in their head they are, if their biology says they're a boy, then they should not be showering with the girls and vice versa. That's not fair to everyone else. And if it's not fair to them, then maybe they shouldn't be in the military to begin with. I mean, is that... I don't know how you become so politically correct that you, you, you've gone completely politically incorrect because, like, you... No, no, no. How did we get to this point? Let's take a look at the history here, and then we will uh, get into some of my thoughts on this whole decision by the president and transgenders in the military in general. All right, but so the history of this thing, I was actually, the New York Times was, I don't know if they were anticipating this from Trump, but a guy named Jonah Bromwich he had a, a, a piece up on the New York Times so quickly. I mean, within maybe two hours, less than two hours after Trump tweeted this, 
how U.S. military policy on transgender personnel changed under Obama, and it's a history of this whole thing. I was impressed. As someone who used to write for, for uh, a, a news website, that's this dude got some serious props for having this thing up so quickly and so thoroughly. But what has been happening, and I'm just going to use his article as a, as a basis to kind of take you through where we've come, there has been a transgender ban in the military up until June of last year. For all of our history. Now, in May of 2014, Defense Secretary, then Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel, said that the military should review its prohibition on transgender people and said uh, if, if they have the qualifications, they should be able to serve. At the time, Defense Department guidelines written decades earlier described transgender people as sexual deviants. In 2011, you may remember that President Barack Obama repealed the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy that banned openly gay men, lesbians, and bisexuals from serving in the military, but he had refrained from commenting on transgender people serving in the armed forces. Fast forward, July of 2015... Mr. Hagel's defense secretary successor, Ashton B. Carter, announced that the Pentagon was going to make a move to allow transgender people to serve openly. When he announced that plan, Mr. Carter said that many transgender people were already serving in the military. Fast forward a little further, October, same year, 2015, the vice president weighed in. He was speaking to the Human Rights Campaign, a gay rights group, and said... That allowing transgender people, uh, and said we should allow transgender people to serve in the armed forces, and called transgender rights the civil rights issue of our time. In May of 2016, a study commissioned by Mr. Carter found that allowing transgender transgenders to serve openly in our military would quote cost little and have no significant impact on unit readiness. The study estimated that 2,450 active duty members were transgender and predicted that around 65 of them would seek to transition each year, which would cost the Pentagon $2.9 million to $4.2 million a year, a.k.a. taxpayers would be paying for transgender uh, surgeries in the cost of millions of dollars yearly so that transgenders could ha undergo uh, sex change surgeries, surgeries while serving in our military. The study predicted that service members would not seek to transition uh, if the procedures were not covered by the Pentagon and that they would likely have higher rates of substance abuse and suicide as a result. So basically, if the Pentagon wouldn't pay, they wouldn't transition, which meant more of them would commit suicide and self-harm. In June of 2016, June 30th, 2016, to be precise, Mr. Carter announced, quote, Effective immediately, transgender Americans may serve openly. They can no longer be discharged or otherwise separated from the military just for being transgender. He also said that the Pentagon would cover the medical costs of those in uniform who wish to undergo gender transition and that it would begin a year-long training program for service members on the changes. So this was all in... Just in just last year, really, that this happened. You know, it began in 2011 when President Obama repealed "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," and then it progressed. 2014, 
Chuck Hagel saying when you're going to need to review this continually. Then with Ashton Carter coming in in 2015, he worked to move quickly. And uh, by June of last year, he lifted the ban as one of President Obama's final actions in office. <sighs> All right. So today, the president comes out and says, transgenders will not be permitted any longer to serve in any capacity in the United States military because our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgenders in the military would entail. So let's, let's take a look at some aspects of this. Let's start with the cost. Why would we, the taxpayers be paying millions of dollars for sex change surgeries for military personnel. Why? Why? That does not seem like something that we the taxpayers should be funding or something that our military should be, you know, doing with their time and resources, which are already limited. But the study commissioned by the defense secretary said if, if we don't provide that for them, free of charges and they're not likely to pursue it and then they're likely to harm themselves or commit suicide now call me crazy but perhaps that's the very reason why these individuals shouldn't be in the military to begin with I mean perhaps that level of mental instability shouldn't be handed a weapon and given a license to kill I'm, maybe if changing genders was as normal as the left would have us believe then these individuals wouldn't be trying to harm themselves. Maybe if it was, in fact, normal, suicide rates wouldn't be higher among transgenders than among any other group of individuals. I mean, the estimates are that 40% of transgenders commit suicide. 40%! That number is astronomical! And there are a lot of people who push the narrative that the reason that number is so high is because of the bigotry that transgenders face and how they're discriminated against. And if we would just stop discriminating against them, then that suicide rate would plummet. The problem with that is when you look at other groups who suffer discrimination or bigotry and hatred, the numbers don't match up. In fact, they're not even close. White Americans, a.k.a. white privilege, right? The white privileged people are the most likely ethnic group to commit suicide in the United States. And they are three times more likely to commit suicides than blacks, Hispanics, and Pacific Islanders, and almost every other minority group. So suicide rates are not about a discrimination factor, or at least not alone or as a primary cause. That idea simply doesn't hold up to facts. No, instead, when it comes to the transgender issue, I mean, we can talk about the religious aspect of it and, uh, and what the Bible would say about it, but we honestly, we don't even have to. We can, but you literally don't need the Bible to explain why this is problematic. Here's why. When a baby is born... He or she comes with certain biological features which tell you if said baby is a boy or a girl. No doctor in the history of the world has held up a child with boy parts and said, Wow, look, do you think it's a girl or a boy? I don't know because I 
somehow made it through med school. No. No doctor's ever held up a, a, a baby born with boy parts and said, Guys, guys, I missed this part of class. What do you th Is this a girl? Or is it a boy? I can't tell. No. You know if it's a boy or a girl instantly. And nowadays, you don't even have to wait for the, the, the birthday. You don't have to wait for the delivery to know if you're having a boy or a girl. The ultrasound tells you. You go in for the ultrasound. The, the ultrasound technician is sitting there and says, Would you like to know the gender? Well, why do we even ask this question if gender is just a matter of personal opinion? Because it's not. That's why <laughs> science says you're a boy or you're a girl. And again, we can get into the, the, the spiritual aspect of this. We can talk about how God creates and how God creates everything perfectly. But if you're having this conversation with someone who isn't saved and just thinks you're a hateful, bigoted Christian, you don't even need the Bible for this conversation. It's just, it's, it's simple, basic science. Science says whether you're a boy or you're a girl, and even after you're born, you can choose to say, hey, I was born with boy parts, but I feel like a girl, so I'm actually a girl. As Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're a girl. If you were born with boy parts, then you're a boy. And guess what? Your DNA is always going to say if you're a boy or if you're a girl. You can undergo as many surgeries as you want, but if you were born with boy parts, your DNA will always say that you're a boy. And if you were born with girl parts, your DNA will always say you are a girl. Now, beyond that, as far as military service is concerned, every job has requirements that you must meet in order to be considered to be hired, and then in order to be hired, and then in order to be stayed in that position. There are certain things, working at church, that I'm not allowed to do, and if I do them, I will get fired. There were certain qualifications that I had to meet to be able to come and do this job. Now, granted, not very many, or I wouldn't be here, because I'm not that smart or that talented. So they were very, very nice to me. But every job has requirements. Every job has standards and qualifications that must be met. You know, I've applied for a lot of jobs in my lifetime. Sometimes, I've been qualified for them. But there was a lot of things I applied for that I wasn't necessarily qualified for, and I was just hoping that, you know, they might be willing to overlook some of the things that I wasn't qualified for because of my other epic awesomeness. And to be quite honest with you, that never worked out for me, or else I'd be working, you know, for Tim Tebow or Focus on the Family or some other uh, group, or, you know, possibly in the White House. Um, I'm not going to list for you all the jobs that I've applied for that I never got, but I've also been told I was overqualified. That was probably, probably the most disturbing job rejection I ever received was when I applied for an internship with Sean Hannity of all people. This was before we actually knew each other and was told that I was overqualified. That that bugged me. <laughs> but anyhow, back to the point. The point at hand is that every job has standards and qualifications. There are physical standards, there are mental standards. Every job has its own requirements. The military is allowed to have standards and qualifications, and quite frankly, I'm really glad that they do. Because there are some people that 
I wouldn't want, quote unquote, protecting me or defending my country because they're not prepared to do so. All right, they're, they're, they're just not. Not everybody's cut out for this lifestyle. Right? And let's think about this now for a second. What is the purpose of the military? Is it an experimental lab for social justice warriors? No. It's not. It's not in any way. War is not pretty. War does not care about your feelings. Our military men and women are warriors, and they absolutely must be mentally and physically able to withstand the terrors of battle. There's no room for snowflakes or butterflies or people who are easily offended. Mental and emotional issues have no place on the battlefield. I mean, look, you've got guys. You've got big, tough, strong dudes who are mentally and physically tough as nails that go into war and still crack under the horrific pressure because of the evil that they see. Why on earth would we send someone into battle who we already know is prone to mental instability? Right? I, I mean, think about that. We have people that we know are strong and tough and they are mentally and physically prepared. They are good to go. And they crack under what they see, some of them. And we have PTSD and different issues that we're dealing with. Why would we take someone who we already know is mentally unstable and put them in that environment? And you don't have to like the fact that I'm saying that those who are transgender are mentally unstable. You don't have to like that. That's not the, what I'm even saying. That's what the commission study by the defense secretary, Carter, showed. It showed that if the Pentagon did not provide them with sex change surgeries, then they were likely to do themselves physical harm. That is someone who is mentally unstable. How is it not a recipe for disaster to take an individual who we already know is unstable and put them in a military situation or in a war zone? Shouldn't we instead be talking about how if we really actually care about transgender individuals, that the best thing that we can do for them is to not allow them to get put into a situation like this? And that brings up another thing. Individuals. But if we care about transgender individuals. There's a problem there. Because this is situation, this is not about individual rights. Military service is not a right that you have. I do not have the right to serve in the military just because I want to. I have to meet the standards. I have to meet the qualifications. And currently there's no way I have the physical stamina. And that means that I don't get in. Because serving in the military is not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my individual rights. It's not about me saying, hey, I want to serve my country. That's great. That's a great desire. But if I don't meet the qualifications, then I don't get to serve. That's not bigoted. That's not hateful. That's not anti-woman. That's just factual. And I know that. And I recognize that. I am not fit to serve. I'm not. And I can't demand that the military let me serve and waive their requirements because I want to do it. That's not how it works. Because serving in the military is not about my individual rights. And I think at the core of this issue, that's what this argument boils down to. But in our military, there's no such thing as an army of one. You're either part of the team or you're not. 
The military is not about individuality. It's about the team. No, it's about looking alike. You don't get to, you, there's no style in the military. You don't get your own style. Your style is assigned to you. Your style is going to be khaki and green or blue, depending on where you're at. There's no individual haircuts. Your haircut's going to be cut just like everybody else's. It's not about individuality. It's about the team. It's not about you. It's about us. And if you're more worried about the you than you are about the us, that's problematic. That is absolutely not helpful in a military situation. So my conclusion about uh, this matter is this. The president, in my opinion, was spot on with this order. Now, the Pentagon is saying that, uh, they're saying, hang on, I found it earlier, um, it, the Pentagon is describing Trump's Twitter post as new guidance rather than an order and said they will be issuing revised guidance to the military in the new, near future. Um, we don't know. There, there's not a lot of details, obviously, because the president issued this through Twitter. Uh, we don't know what will happen to those who are currently serving. The estimates are currently 1,300 to 16,000 members. Who are transgender? That's a. By the way, how do we, how do we get an estimate that ranges from thirteen hundred to sixteen thousand? That's a huge difference, but we don't know. We don't have any real direction because all we got was three tweets. And the method in which this announcement was made, those three tweets, I personally believe that there are far, far better, better ways to handle situations than by addressing them with a series of tweets. Particularly sensitive situations like this one. There are far, far, far better ways to conduct this sort of announcement than through Twitter. Now, I have a theory as to why this may have come through Twitter, which I'll address in a few moments, but I, I would have let General Mattis do it. Like, why would you not? I don't, I don't know. And again, I have a theory. Get to that in just a moment. But as for the order itself, I agree with this order. It is a reinstating of long-standing, and in my opinion, which is based on science, this is a reinstating of long-standing, very correct tradition. The science which says that, you know, boys are boys and girls are girls. And there are just so many potential issues with allowing these individuals to serve in the military, and quite frankly, if something has been deemed a mental illness by military protocol, we better be stinking sure we know what we're doing before we change that designation and start handing these people weapons. Particularly when we know that 40% of transgenders commit suicide and this issue is presented as, well, you know, it's not really a big deal. The thing is, we just have to provide them with sex change surgeries if they want them, because if we don't, then they're probably going to kill themselves. That's kind of a big deal and probably something we need to spend a lot more time looking into before we, one, have these individuals serving in our military and handling firearms, and two, before we start telling our current military personnel and their spouses, which we already have, and this just blows my mind, but we're telling our current military personnel and their spouses that it's perfectly normal for them to be showering and changing with someone who has the body parts of the opposite gender. It's, it's not okay. 
and I am I applaud the president for this decision. Again, I think it could have been handled in a much better uh, manner, but the decision itself, I I agree with. Now, why was it tweeted? I believe it was tweeted uh, as a distraction, and in a way as a as a sort of uh, calming factor for the more um, traditional of the president's base. Because I believe that the president is on the cusp of potentially firing Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And we'll come back in just a minute. I'll give you my thoughts on that matter. You're listening to VXL 101.1 FM. Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Don't go away. The Ball Brothers with It's About the Cross. All right. Let's talk about Jeff Sessions. Let me tell you a little bit about Jeff Sessions before we get into the news. Jeff Sessions served as senator for Alabama for two decades. Two decades. Aside from his first election, he's never won with less than 59% of the vote. That is essentially unheard of in politics, even in a red state. In 2014, he ran unopposed. No one even bothered. That means that you're a really good senator if you're garnering over 59, basically over 60% of the vote every time that you run for office. That means people really like you. That means you do your job very well. The National Review crowned Jeff Sessions with the title of Amnesty's Worst Enemy in 2014. Interesting, huh? Sessions was a lawyer before he became a politician and was known for touring Alabama with charts that demonstrated the debt of our country and how it was crippling our economy. He's a debt hawk. He doesn't believe in climate change. He works with Democrats. Senate Democrats have said, you know what, he works with us. As much as we disagree with him, he works with us. And his record of conservatism as a senator during his time serving in the Senate from Alabama is outstanding. One of the top conservatives in the Trump administration by far was speculated by many that he would end up as Trump's vice president. He actually was on the committee that helped to choose uh, Mike Pence for the job. And of everyone that Trump has in his administrations, my favorite happened to be Mike Pence and Jeff Sessions. Now, Jeff Sessions uh, gave a speech not too long ago the Alliance Defending Freedom, which then people called a hate group, which that was really interesting, but he gave a speech to the Alliance Defending Freedom. And I want to read you some of that speech, because this is the man that Jeff Sessions is. He starts out by thanking them for what they do, uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom, in their fight to protect religious liberty. He said this, he said, Religious liberty and respect for religion have strengthened this country from the beginning. 
In fact, it was largely in order to enjoy and protect these rights that this country was settled and founded in the first place, as those in this room especially know. Our concepts of religious freedom came to us through the development of the Western heritage of faith and reason. In America, Madison and Jefferson advanced those concepts. Their victory was to declare religious freedom to be a matter of conscience inherent in each individual, not as a matter of toleration granted from the top. I propose that in America, our understanding of religious freedom can only be understood within that heritage. Our founders wisely recognized that religion is not an accident of history or a passing circumstance. It is at the core of the human experiments and as close to a universal phenomena as any. Each one of us considers with awe the stars in the sky and at the moral code within our hearts. Even today, in a rapidly changing world, the majority of the American people tell Gallup that religion is very important in their lives. With this insight into human nature, they took care to preserve a permanent space for freedom of religion in America. That space is the very first line of the Bill of Rights. And not just that line. Twelve of the thirteen colonies authored state constitutions that protected the free exercise of religion. Six of the thirteen states had established churches, but almost every state made accommodations for religious minorities like Quakers or Mennonites. They did not insist that all follow the same doctrines. Every state constitution at the time of our founding, and now, mentions God. Our first president, George Washington, called for a national day of prayer, and he wrote to a Jewish congregation in Rhode Island that in America, all possess a like liberty of conscience. In his farewell address, President Washington famously called religion the indispensable support of political prosperity and a great pillar of human happiness. He warned, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. And he goes on, and he continues to talk about the history, the religious, biblical history of our country. By biblical, I don't mean that it's in the Bible. I mean that our nation was founded on biblical principles. And he goes on, and he gives an amazing speech. And he talks about the president. He talks about he will fight for religious freedom as the Attorney General. And he concluded with this. He said, This administration and the upcoming guidance will be animated by that same American view that has led us for 241 years. That every American has a right to believe, worship, and exercise their faith in the public square. It has served this country well, and it has made us not only one of the tolerant countries in the world, it has also helped us make, helped make us the freest and most generous. Now that was from his speech to the Alliance Defending Freedom just a few weeks ago. Why would I read that to you? Because I want you to get a little bit of a picture of the type of person that Jeff Sessions is. I want you to understand that if you are listening to this program, you would be a friend of Jeff Sessions, unless you're listening because you, you think you can somehow destroy my career if this is like 10 years in the future and I'm doing something cool and you're like, let me go listen to all her old podcasts and see if I can find something terrible that she says. Unless you're that person, if you're listening to this program, Believe me, you would like Jeff Sessions. Now, President Trump has decided to wage a public battle against the Attorney General, both on Twitter and in the press. And I understand that there will always be disagreements amongst politicians and amongst presidents and their staff. But the way in which such situations are handled 
I believe should be done with tact and should be done personally. I think that is the biblical method for dealing with conflict, and it seems to work the best in both public and private situations and businesses. The president has stated that he's upset with Sessions for not going after Hillary Clinton. But after his election, the president self, himself told, I believe it was NBC? I, I looked this up yesterday, but you can go look it up. The president said he had no intention of pursuing Hillary Clinton, that the campaign uh, was brutal enough and their family had gone through a lot and he had no intention of continuing down that path. And you can say, well, the president isn't, but he expected that his attorney general would. Well, okay, the thing is, the president himself actually really doesn't do a whole lot. When the president says that he is going to do something, he means his administration or his cabinet or the Congress. He can write executive orders, that's about it. He doesn't actually have the power to do a lot of things. Now, he does through different branches, but if he wanted the Attorney General to pursue Hillary Clinton, then he would say, yes, after the election, that is something we'll look into. And during the, during the debate, by the way, he promised that he would set up a special counsel to investigate Hillary. And that is exactly what he was asked about following the campaign. He said, no, we're not going to go that route. So one could argue that the Attorney General was just following Trump's own instructions by not pursuing Hillary Clinton. And we could get into whether or not this is something personal. We could get into if Trump is trying to distract from uh, his own ties with, potential ties with Russia by pointing to Hillary's potential ties with Russia and making this all about Sessions and why hasn't he done anything about Hillary. That could be. It could also be that we have conveniently announced that we are no longer going to allow transgenders to serve in the military at the exact time when we are contemplating firing Sessions so that those who are of the tr more traditional uh, Trump base who would be strong supporters of Sessions would not be as outraged as if we did not have this transgender issue which was filling the headlines. That could also be. I don't know. What I do know is that Jeff Sessions is a godly man. What I do know is that Jeff Sessions has served and will serve our country very well if he is able to continue in the post in which he has been placed. And I hope that whatever differences there are and for whatever reason we have this public feud going on, which in my, from my perspective is simply childish to be tweeting things like this. Whatever it is, whatever is the issue, I hope and pray that it gets resolved quickly because if we lose Jeff, Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, we will have lost a very good man and a very uh, fervent fighter for our religious liberties. So I, I'm hoping and praying that that does not happen, and I hope that you are as well. You might even consider reaching out to the president and letting him know that you really like Sessions. So, you know, maybe, maybe we should keep him. Maybe we should give him another chance. Maybe we should just, you know, let him do his job and also let him know what his job is instead of saying, oh, we're not going to do that, and then being like, why did he not do that? Evil. Let me tweet about him. That's, that's what I imagine 
happens in the president's head sometimes before he takes to Twitter. But I don't know because I don't live uh, in the president's head. But the president is living rent-free in many Americans' heads today, which I find highly amusing. There's also there's this Trump imitator on America's Got Talent. I'd never seen it before. My sister sent it to me. Uh, sent a clip to me the other day. It was pretty funny. Not going to lie. This is KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio. Thanks to those of you who took the time to join us for the program today. Be sure to join us on Sunday morning for our one of our morning services at 9.30 or 11.15. We have child care, we have adult classes, we have the main worship service, and we would love to have you join us for those. Or you can stream us online at experienceliberty.com. Thanks to those of you tuned in over at the405media.com as well. Hope you have a fantastic day. Join us back here, same time, same place, tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone.